The following message is from the 2017 IBCD Institute, Addictions, Grace for the Journey. How does this sound to you? Stop it! <laughs> How does it sound? It, oh, it, by, by the way, it, it, I, I wonder how many of us, and how many of us in the Christian church in general, how many of us have as our basic philosophy of sanctification, stop it! Well, and some of you, I'm sure, it's invoking Bob Newhart and uh, something that's been on the internet for a number of years. It, um, something, it, it, it seems horribly superficial. It, it, it seems to communicate uh, our God is sort of this punitive parent who's, who's just waiting for somebody to, to do something a little bit wrong in the home. No, no fun, no fun in this house. Stop it right now. It, 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 it's sort of, it doesn't sound gospelish or gracious, but it seems like, frankly, that's what we're stuck with. Because here's, here's what scripture says. The word to say no to ungodliness. Just say no. Just say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Now, the passage is a little longer than that. It goes on and says, this is Titus 2, verses 11 and 12, for the grace of God brings salvation appeared to all men, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. But, but what we hear, I think what most people hear is, we have to say no. We have to learn how to say no. But this seems to be very important in in the kingdom of heaven in which we live. For example, in Titus, right before we get to this passage in Titus, as you know, there, there, there's a discipling manual that is presented. And the discipling manual is offered to four groups of people. It's offered to the young women, the old women, the young men, and the old men. And when you look at the various features of that discipling manual, there's one, there's only one there's only one feature that goes throughout all of them, and it is self-control. Stop it! Stop it! It's, it's the one thing that should be involved in every single form of discipleship. And as you, as you know, when you get to the young men, for, for the old women, the old, the old men, the young women, it's self-control and a few other things. For the young men, let's keep it simple. There's one thing you gotta know, and it's self-control. Stop it, no, no fun. It's, it, it seems to be a fairly important matter in, in scripture. When Paul, when Paul reviews, when he summarizes the grace of God that has come in Christ to Felix, this is in, in Acts, he, he speaks about it in terms of righteousness, self-control, in the judgment to come. That's it. How many of us, if we were going to pick out the, the three pillars, in a sense, of the gospel of Christ that stand on Christ, how many of us, we might say righteousness, maybe the judgment to come, but how many of us would say self-control? It, it, it's, it, it seems to be a fairly fairly important teaching in scripture and it just doesn't sound as attractive as we would like it to sound yet at the same time there there is a there's this vein of research 
that surrounds us. And in that vein is saying, here is, here is the key to contentment and even happiness. It is the ability to say no to your desires. When your desires act up, to be able to postpone them, to be able to resist them, is the mark of a content and mature person. So maybe it's not that bad. Here's our task this morning. Our task is to is to take this teaching on self-control, and if it is a teaching from God himself, and if it receives this kind of prominence, it must be incredibly attractive. That's, that is the one thing we know. If God has spoken it, if it is somehow an expression of the good news that we have in Jesus Christ, it is going to sound really, really good. So our task this morning is to, to rehabilitate, if you will, the, the feel of, of self-control so that it looks incredibly attractive as it truly is and, and we aspire to it. So let's set off and move into scripture as we, as we, as we try to understand this accurately. Here's, here's a kind of definition of self-control. There's, I'm sure we could have a bunch of other ones, but here would be one. It, it, it does include saying no, but it, it's, it's a little bit more than that. You see, self-control is, is the ability to distinguish right from wrong. There's this clear-eyed understanding that is right, this is in the kingdom of heaven, and this opposes the kingdom of heaven. This is good, this is, this is bad. This is, I'll put it this way, this is life, this is death. There, there's, there's that discernment in self-control that is able to see the difference between right and wrong, and then self-control chooses the right. It chooses the right, and in that is a certain flourishing. Is that is a choosing for the life himself. It's a choosing for all the life that is contained in him, and it is something that is exquisite as a result. So, that was, I think that was too long a definition. I got carried away. Uh, let me see if I can do it again. It's... it's Discernment, it's knowing the difference between right and wrong and choosing the right, and you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. It's it's gonna be hard, it's it's you're gonna sweat blood sometimes, but you're gonna love it. That's that's what we're seeking to identify as we go through scripture. Hebrews chapter 5, 14. Solid food is for the mature. The mature. Who are the mature? Those who have, who, who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And distinguish there means not only do they, they see the difference, but they act on the difference. They, they do the good rather than the evil. Hebrews 5.14 is, is, seems to be saying, here's what we aspire to be. We aspire to be mature children in Christ. And the definition of mature children is they can discern between right and wrong and they do the right. The, the mark of a mature person in Christ is self-control. It, it, 
it, it seems as though we could argue that self-control is, 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 is part of our pinnacle of response to our God that identifies us as human beings. Where, what's the difference between human and animals? It's, it's been an interesting question. We speak, animals don't speak. Well, if you have a dog who barks in different ways, you, you might argue with that. Uh, if, you, if you know dolphins, they seem to have different ways of communicating. That doesn't seem to carry it, but... But, but if you have a dog, they, they're just driven by their desires, and self-control is not part of their world. When the furrows kick in, they, they just do whatever ever, ever they're compelled to do. The, this call to distinct, they don't, it's, it's, right and wrong is not a relevant category to an animal. But to us, to us alone, we have the privilege of distinguishing between right and wrong, and then sometimes through arduous discipline to learn to practice doing the right. What we're getting at here is in many ways the very essence of wisdom itself. The entire corpus of the book of Proverbs is, is to train us, here are the two roads, and and. And when you're at the crossroads, it's not as simple as you think. At the crossroads, you look and, and frankly, the path of death has an initial appeal to it. It's, there's something alluring to it. One of the best kept secrets in the Christian church is people sin because they like it, because, because we want to, because there's something attractive in it. We're not drug kicking and screaming in it necessarily. The entire book of Proverbs is saying, here is the wise person. Children, let's grow together. You're going to be at the crossroads of life every single day. And you know, it's going to be, it's going to be more difficult than you think. When you're sitting back in your armchair, you know, the distinction between right and wrong can seem nice and clear to you. But when you're in the thick of life and you have... You have friends who are calling you a certain direction. When your desires are somehow enticed, all of a sudden... You have nowhere, you have no idea which way to go. And, and so, what do you see in Proverbs? Ba-boom, ba-boom. Okay, here's one. Which way are you going to go? This, don't follow your instincts necessarily. There's something animalistic about that. Consider your ways. Can watch where the path goes and consider the path that is an expression of the Torah itself, the very laws of God, the character of God, and choose life. And then do it again. And, and, and what, how many, you know, hundreds of Proverbs you go, you're going through. Can you hear it? Okay. Okay, kids, let's do this. Okay, here you are. You're in this situation. Which way are you going to go? Ah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Consider it. Think about it. Consider the very ways of God. Consider the things that he says. Consider his promises. It's not always, it's, it's, it's not always the thing you think initially is right. Consider this. Ah, that's it. That's it. Okay, here's another one. It, it's... It, Self-control is not just a throwaway comment in scripture. It, 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 is, it is used as a kind of summary of the enterprise of wisdom itself. It, it is the very characteristic feature of our humanity. And, and when we lose it or depart from it, we look, we look especially non-human. <laughs> 
When the, we look most animalistic, most non-human, when we forsake this path of self-control. 1 Corinthians 3.9. This is Solomon speaking, of course. Uh, give your sermon, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I might discern between good and evil, that I might be able to discern between these two paths, and I would choose the good. More frightening experience I had in the last few weeks was speaking to a man whose life had been trashed, was being trashed by, by alcohol. And he had a number of children. Uh, he, was, he, was, um, he was on his way to a certain kind of rehab. It was a, kind of, it was a sort of a retreat center. And, and, and I saw him a, a week before he was supposed to go. And how does this sound? I, I, um, I've been thinking about this retreat center. It, it's, why would I do this? I'm, I'm leaving my family. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be away from them for a few weeks. Uh, what's, what's the point of that? And in a few weeks before that, we, we spoke with a certain clarity that this would be his, this would be an expression of his commitment to Christ and to his family, to take this path that might not seem good at first, but, but, but his, the counsel has been in that direction. And when he watches the, the course in front of him, he could see the wisdom of it. And now the distinction between right and wrong is becoming fuzzy. Why would I bother doing such things? And, and, um, Uh, yeah, my goal is to have more moderation in my drinking. And, and, and here's, a, here's a person whose life has truly been utterly destroyed by this. And, and it's astounding that his family continues to surround him. It, it, was, it was terrifying. I, I was watching a person who was a man. I was watching him lose his humanity. And all of a sudden, what, what, was, what was momentary clear for him, this is right and this is wrong and I'm going to do the right, all of a sudden it became muddled. It's, it's as if the, the sun is going down and, and your eyes are getting dim and, and you're, you're just sort of wandering around somewhat aimlessly. To discern the difference between right and wrong and to choose the right, and you're going to love it. That's who we aspire to be. And, and, and for, for addicts who have been at that crossroads, where, where the, the decision has been very muddled and unclear, where they've consistently just sort of opted for, for death itself, here is, here is your mission, and you indeed will love it. God himself tells us the difference between right and wrong. He doesn't speak to animals about right or wrong. He, he speaks to us about right or wrong. This is the very beginning of the human enterprise where, where the Lord says, this is right, all this is right, this tree is wrong. 
It's how clear could it possibly be? And, and, and by the way, the, you know, the, the, that, that garden experience is reiterated in our lives over and, and over again. And we know the difference between right and wrong. For example, uh, I know the call, the summary of the law is to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourself. Uh, last summer, I realize I'm going back a ways. My wife and I have had other challenges since last summer, but last summer was a particularly meaningful time for me. Uh, it was, it, we, we were on vacation, and, and she said something. And, and as soon as she said it, I, I had this utterly clear conviction that, that this was a chance for me to take a stand. I am right and she is wrong. And, and it, was, it was utterly clear. It couldn't have been more clear to me. I, I, was, I just had this smug confidence, I am right and you are wrong. And this is the time where I am going to really help you by showing you your wrongness. It was, it was all utterly clear to me. And, 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 and do you see your response? That's exactly right. I was an animal. I was an utter animal. The, 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 the lights had gone out. Because, and because here is what God says. He, there's this call to love others. And, and, and it wasn't until probably 24 hours later we were going for a walk and you can imagine things were a little, a little bit chilly during the walk. And, and somehow, somehow in a flash, in a moment, this question, did you love your wife? And I said, oh, well, looky there. And, and it's all of a sudden wisdom began to reign. And curiously, when wisdom reigned, there was, there was humility, there was reconciliation, there was... There was unity. This is, this is a matter for all of us. We all seek to grow in maturity. This is, not, this is not a narrow issue for those who are struggling with addictions. This is a call to humanity. We want today to grow in discerning between right and wrong and in choosing the right. And, and to add to it a bit, to, to, to have that discernment where our desires tend to be a little bit more active, (laughs) where our our desires compete against wisdom. That's what it means to be a wise person. The Lord himself has told us what what is right and, and what is wrong. For those who struggle with addictions, they have certain desires and and. We understand those desires. We, we all share in some of those desires. A desire for rest. A desire for, for the alleviation of pain. Who doesn't want, want such things? A desire for touch. A di- desire for some sort of closeness with another person. And on and on and on. Now, these desires in themselves are not wrong. But, 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 but so much of sin are desires that have run amok, the, the desires that have crossed boundaries. And, and we see them crossing boundaries when, when the thing that, uh, that, we, that, that we'd like to touch, we're saying that's ours. We want to possess that person for ourselves rather than love that person. 
when, when, we, when we steal or when we lies in order to get the things that, that we want. The discernment between right and, and wrong. The garden is replayed day after day in our lives, but with an interesting twist, and we'll get to that obviously in a moment. Uh, but let's, let's consider that garden imagery again. We have been told what is right and wrong. And, and then, here's what happens. God tests our hearts. He tests us. And, 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 and of course, this is what you do with royal children. You, you test them so they can see their weaknesses. They can see their allegiances. And, and they, can, they can grow to solidify their allegiances. Proverbs 17.3. The Lord himself tests the heart. It is, it is evidence of God's care for us. It is evidence of his discipling process to bring us to those crossroads where, where we're tested. Which way will you go? Every day we expect, we hope to encounter such tests from the Lord. Will we, will we grow to, to say God is God and he has spoken and I will trust him? He is the one who, who adjudicates right and wrong rather than my own desires, rather than my own reason determines it. And... And what he says, even though it feels as though there's a cost to it, this is what I will do. It's, it's the parent, uh, not that you've ever done this, but you understand the stereotype. It's the parent who says, okay, don't jump on the bed. Don't jump on the bed. And we'll be back in five minutes. Now, of course, no, no parents are going to say something like this, but you understand what I'm saying. Uh, don't jump on the bed. We're going to be gone. Don't jump on the bed. And then, then you hide in the closet or something like that. Uh, and and, and you, you wait to see if they jump on the bed. And the interesting thing about that, again, not that you would ever do it, but you understand the idea. Uh, uh, the interesting thing about that, if you indeed would do something like that, like that and, and come out of the closet uh, after five minutes, you would say one of two things. Kids, you know what happened? We, we asked you not to jump on the bed, and you didn't jump on the bed. You are most wise children. <laughs> And, and you, are, you are growing to maturity. And, and next time, we're going to give you 10 minutes by yourself. Uh, and we're not going to hide in the closet. Uh, uh, or, kids, you, boom, here we are. Did, do you remember what we said a couple minutes ago about jumping on the bed? And, no, I don't remember. What did you say? It's... it's and then whatever, you know, however you want to have consequences for that. Now, the interesting thing there is that the children are not going to say, well, you lied to us by going in the closet. They're, they, to be tested is, is okay. The greater tests the lesser. It, it sort of shows what is in their heart, and it gives them opportunities to grow in maturity. So, in other words, the, the test in the garden, it was before there was sin, uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, 
It, it was growing in this discernment process, testing our allegiances to our God. Maybe we can say it this way. When your senses say, this is beautiful, uh, when, when your senses say, this smells wonderful, and God has said no, will you follow your senses, or will it be the very words of God that lead you? That's the dilemma. And... And the wise person, the wise person throws his lot or her lot in with the very word of God. That's, that's what we're hoping to do. This is this, this enterprise that we're engaging in that we call self-control. The Lord tests our heart and we will be tested. We hope to be tested day in and day out because that's what good fathers do with their, their children. But here's the nature of the human heart, as we know, and we're still, we're still evoking that garden sort of image because it is so, so central in, in, in this particular story. The, there's a certain drama in our temptations because, because it, it's, it's the Lord himself who tests our heart. Will, will we choose the right? Will we choose him or will we choose us, essentially? Yet it's, there's, there's more activity. Satan himself sees that, that moment of divergence as, as this wonderful opportunity for him. And, he, and he, he begins to move in and sees the opportunity. And, and he tempts. And his goal is to muddle the distinction between right and wrong. And he does that in, in two ways. Is God really that good? Isn't he a bit persnickety? Uh, isn't, isn't he a bit harsh? Uh, stop it, stop it, stop it. it it's, you ever get tired of that? And, and, and you really think you're going to die? Is, 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 going, is going against what he says, is it going to be that big a deal? It's, you can see, it's, he's trying to, to confuse the distinctions between right and wrong. And for some reasons, for some reason, our heart tends to have an affinity with, with that muddled, sort of animalistic, and it truly was literally animalistic in the garden, that animalistic kind of thinking. And, and for some reason, the, the temptation that's offered to us, it, it takes root in our hearts, and, and we make it our own. And blindness be, begins to reign. Oh, by the way, the, the, the curious thing about that is that the Satan tempts, but after we, we follow his temptation, then he accuses. Oh, look how bad you are. How could the Lord ever love you now? How could he ever accept you now? Uh, so there's a certain betrayal by, in this animalistic system. This temptation that, that, we, that we absorb and we take in ourselves uh, let, me, let, me, let me just have a, a brief sort of sidebar here and, and identify one passage, and this is not the most important thing, but in, in Genesis 3.22, there's a very curious passage. It says something like this. The, the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like us, knowing good and evil. I, I would suggest to you a, a, a better translation and a permissible translation is, Behold, man was... Like us. At one time, 
they knew the difference between good and evil. And that was the pinnacle of their humanity. They shared that with the triune God himself. And and now they have lost the, 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 the wisdom. They have lost self-control. They have lost the, the ability to distinguish between right and wrong, and they do the wrong. And now they, now they no longer have that same communion with us, and they will be barred from our house. That's, we were like our God, knowing good and evil. And then the, the storyline of Scripture is is how now do we gain wisdom? <laughs> how can we be truly human and make those distinctions between right and wrong and, and choose the, the right? In, in some ways, it, it seemed as though, so I'm, moving, I'm gonna move from the garden. Just, the, the, the garden is, is, is a seminal story to understand our humanity. And will you choose the right? even when your senses tell you something different, is the critical question within the garden. The, if, you, if you look at some of the great stories of the scripture, the garden, it's, it's always the garden, and, and then it's the wilderness story. And curiously, the wilderness story, if we're onto something important here, we're gonna see, we're gonna see the, same, the same story reside in the wilderness. Indeed, this is the story of the wilderness. It's, it's like a do-over, if you will. It's, except the do-over is not in this sort of copacetic garden with, where everything is perfect. Now the do-over is in the wilderness that, that seems destitute. But it's got all the same features to it. The Lord says to the people that he is God. He is the God over the greatest kings, over the greatest gods of the world, over the very king of Egypt who is considered to be a god. He he is the one who hears the cries of his own chosen holy people. And you can trust him. That That is the essential part of, 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 of drawing us into being human people. We see who our God is, and we see him, so we, we have the privilege of saying, I'm with you. My allegiances are with you. So God has, has rendered himself so vividly to, to the children of Israel, and then they move out into the desert. And the question is, they're going to be tested before they go into the promised land. This is what royal. This is what you do with royal children. You, they're they're in situations where where they're at the crossroads. Will they opt for the one who has just rescued them? And and they find in the wilderness in this kind of do over that the the question is still a muddled question. Deuteronomy chapter 8, 2 and 3. You shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the desert, humbling you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. This is what the wilderness was about. It was the garden revisited. It was, it was, it was to grow in maturity, to discern right from wrong. Would you keep his commandments or not? He humbled you, let you hunger and, and fed you with manna, uh, which you didn't know nor your fathers knew, that you might know that man does not live by bread alone, but the man lives by every word that comes from the very mouth of God. Here's the challenge in the garden, we know, uh, in, in the desert, and we know how the desert went. The, 
we saw people losing their humanity. And in, 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 in this particular situation, Satan isn't even necessary. We don't, we don't need any satanic help to, to be muddled and, and somewhat blind in, in the difficulties of life. It, it might start with something like this. God's far away. He's, he's up in the mountains. I have to fend for myself here. I, I'm, I'm on my own. I'm an independent. And, and how can I make this life in this horrible place work? That's, you see it? The, that discernment, that knowledge of who God was, it was, it was, they were getting blind to the knowledge of God, which means they were getting blind to the very character of God that teaches us to distinguish between right and wrong. And then you find grumbling and complaining, which we understand. Why are you doing this? Why are you taking us out of the wilderness? Are you, are, are, you, are you just bringing us out here to die? And in Numbers chapter 14, it, it's, it makes sense. You see, it, it, it's, in our blind state, it makes sense. Look at this horrible situation. Uh, we're going to die out here. We have to take matters into our own hands. Why did you ever do this? Numbers chapter 14, the Lord speaks words to, to Moses, and, and he says this. It's not about you. It's the people that are holding me in contempt, he says. Why do the people hold me in contempt? Why do they hate me? See, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, to be controlled by who our God is. Uh, to, to obey him in all situations. That's the beginning of wisdom. And grumbling and complaining is, 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 is an early warning sign that the lights are going dim. And then, and the, see, the, it is understandable that we would complain. So, you know, it, it's, the lights are growing dim, but it's sort of understandable. You know, we could imagine complaining in a situation like that. But here's where, here's where it becomes a bit more bizarre, when there is this pining away for the very place where they were groaning to be released. <laughs> Uh, there's this, oh, oh, we had, we had the leeks and the onions, we had all, we had everything we needed in Egypt. And, and, and we read that, it's, it's almost laughable, but that's sort of the animalistic movement where, of utter blindness, you can no longer see reality clearly. And you know something bad is going to happen. You know it. Because they're utterly blind at that crossroads in the midst of the test. And as soon as Moses has gone a little bit longer than they anticipate, off come all the ornaments and that bizarre, you know, Aaron says, well, they, you know, I don't, they just were complaining a bit and we threw this stuff in the fire and out popped this little idol. Um, uh, and, which is reminiscent, by the way, of Proverbs. I was just wandering around, just wandering around, and all of a sudden there's this woman who's, who's, whose husband's not around, and, 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 and she just happens to be outside beckoning me. To, who would have thought? What are the odds of such things happening? Uh, it's, it just sort of happened. You feel like things happen to you. We don't recognize that there is a, there is a course that we choose that heads off away from self-control and, and into foolishness. And then, of course, we become more and more like what we worship. You, you worship an animal, you look like an animal. 
And, and so one of the expressions of that in Egypt, I mean, I mean in Israel in the desert, was people just gave themselves over to their, to their, to their desires. They gave themselves over to their desires. It, it seems like it was very sexualized in such a way that they were the mockery of the people around them. Uh, everybody knew something about giving themselves over to their desires, but even people who lived that way, the surrounding nations, looked and saw this is something animalistic. This, the, the, these are not people. These are cattle that are running amok. That's, you, you, you head off into death and, and you, you begin to look like something much less than a human being. How does it sound so far? It's, 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 it's the warnings are very clear, but, but embedded in this is, is the beauty of this is right and this is wrong. And if you, do you want to be a human being? It's going to be hard as can be, but you're going to love it <laughs> to learn to choose the right. <laughs> this is our enterprise together. And then the story essentially stops. The word wisdom almost fades out of the Old Testament. Yeah, you know, you, every once in a while, you have a king or two who who seems to bring a certain discernment and self-control, acting on the right. But otherwise, you don't even the, the people are not even bothered being tested anymore. Why? Why say, kids, don't jump on the on the on, on the bed and you hide in the closet? Why are you going to do it the two hundredth time when you when when the other hundred and ninety nine times they've they've been bouncing on the bed? You. You don't, your, your, your children are not up to the test. They are, they're childlike and, and undiscerning. So it, it, it's, it's really a very sad story. It's humanity has, has become dehumanized. And so as a result, there is something that captures the attention of all the New Testament writers. And it's this. Uh, somebody's being led out into the wilderness. There's a test that's going to take place. Uh, and, and apparently, nobody was being tested before. <laughs> and apparently, this particular champion seems to be a little bit different than the rest. And, and, you, and, and it's the garden experience being redone. It's the wilderness experience being redone. He's drawn in to the worst of physical temptations, 40 days or so with, without food. Satan recognizes that he is needed on this particular temptation. Where he wasn't in the wilderness, he was in the garden, he wasn't in the wilderness, now he comes face to face to, to do battle with this particular champion. The scripture is saying all eyes on him because, because perhaps humanity is finally going to be elevated to who we were intended to be. Perhaps, and, and these different temptations are offered. What's, what's the big deal? Turn them into bread. What's the big deal? You just, yeah, float off the, the pinnacle of the temple. It's, it's, it didn't seem like that big a deal. But, but Deuteronomy 8 revisited the, the champion is being tested. And, and, and right and wrong was not determined by what tasted good, what looked good, what felt good. Right and wrong was determined by the very words of his father. 
He lived by the words of his father. That's what he spoke. That apparently was what he was eating in the desert. (laughs) And he was well fortified to be the champion. This is... This is the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. This is what authenticated him as the very Messiah, where the, the Messiah had to be one who in the midst of testing lived by the very words of the Father, and indeed he did. And from that moment on, off he goes into, into his messianic work that ended up with the cross. And that story changes everything. The... The Messiah who went into the wilderness, he, he takes our lack of discernment. He takes our failures and testing on himself. And, and he, he is approved by the Father. And he takes those to the very cross and puts them to death. And then he says, join me. And in joining him, we, we are not only given his record the record of the champion in the wilderness. But, but the champion in himself gives us himself in the wilderness because we cannot be alone in the wilderness. And he gives us his very spirit in the wilderness. And, and now we can be fully functioning, flourishing people who discern the difference between right and wrong. This is why, this is why the book of James in James chapter 4, or I'm sorry, James chapter 1, he says, consider a pure joy when you go through trials of many kinds. Because it, 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 James is saying testing has come back because now that we are in Christ, there is a reason to be tested. Now we can grow because the testing of your faith is going to lead to this maturity and you are going to love it. You see how it, it, it changes life. It, it's the challenges of every day. They, they, we say, bring them on. These are opportunities for me to see myself. And, and, and my little wilderness experiences are the occasion for me to, to live by the very words of my Father and to grow. Those who belong to Christ, Galatians 5, 24, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The passions and desires are not necessarily wrong in their sort of modified and and boundaried sense, but it's talking about desires that have run amok. So, here's our task. If we want to be human beings, we want to learn how to distinguish between right and wrong. And, And we want to learn to say no. Because, you see, in the old kingdom of darkness, it, it, in the old, the old animalistic kingdom, it wasn't relevant. But the grace of God has rescued us and brought us into this kingdom of light. And now we can be truly human beings who make those distinctions and, and follow the right. And, and it's the grace of God that is going to lead the way. Titus chapter 2. So, a couple thoughts. What do we do? I guess the question is, what do we do as a result? How do we live? What do we aspire to? At least, stop it is is not our mode of sanctification. 
It is the grace of God has come. And, 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 and because we now have the spirit of the living God, we are able to have that clear-eyed vision on right and wrong. And where we don't, we seek the help of the other brothers and sisters. And we want to distinguish it clearly. And then through, through something that could feel viscerally painful, we're going to choose the right. That's, that's life. And, and we're going to love it. That's what we're, what we're after. So first, of course, all eyes are on Jesus. He, he rescues us, not because we have happened to do well in the wilderness. He, he's not sitting there waiting for us, okay, you're tested, you failed again. I'm not going to rescue you until you finally do it right, until you finally learn how to say no. No, he, he rescues us in our need. So if you see that you are wretched and, 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 and becoming subhuman in those testing situations, ah, you're in the perfect place <laughs> because you recognize your need to be rescued and to have the record of another. So all eyes, all eyes on Jesus, all eyes on our champion, all eyes on the grace of God, the capital G, grace of God, who, who in the wilderness, the... He distinguished right and wrong. And it wasn't because he figured out what was right and wrong. It was because he lived by the very words of his father. And, and it prepared him for the next test that he was going to have. Well, it's all kinds of tests. But certainly the final test was, would he even go to death because of the words of his father? There's the, there's the other garden experience. It, it, the, the other garden was the, the Gethsemane itself, which, which evokes the original garden. Here's, here's the tempter who comes. Here's, here's the choice. You have life or death. But, but you used to think life was with your father, but, but now look at this. Death is with your father. When death is with your father, will you still choose to be with him? Will you still follow the right? So an arduous test, and, and um, it seemed to be very evident to Jesus. So all eyes on Jesus, the, the one who's been our champion, the one who gives us his record, the one who gives us his power. And, and then to get to work, for us to, to ask the question of ourselves, perhaps, what was so appealing about independent life? What was so appealing about being independent of God? What was so appealing about sin? Augustine answers this particular question. He said, I love my own sin, not because of what it gave me, but because of the pleasure of sinning itself. <laughs> see, see, it's, sometimes we can say, I, I love sin because there's, a, there's this fleeting pleasure in it. But, but, some, but, but when we're practiced sinners, sometimes there's no pleasure in it at all. It's just, it's just the simple fact of sinning itself. That, that is our pleasure. What, what is your pleasure? What is the allure of the apple? What is the allure of, of death? For us to have quick answers to that. What, what is the, assuming that all of us have certain fronts in our lives, where there, there, are certain, there, there are certain areas where sin is not attractive to us, but there's probably at least one front in our life where sin is attractive. That's what we're looking for. And, 
and in that particular place, what is it that makes it so attractive? Because if it is attractive, we are not seen very clearly. It looks like life, but it's just it's masquerading with death itself. You know, the, the title of that book, Addiction's a Banquet in the Grave, that's what, that's what Proverbs does. It, it, it says, this, this woman looks like life, but she's leading you to a banquet. And it's a banquet in, with death itself. And it's the food of death itself. It will lead, the food will leave you wanting more and more and more until you are fully emaciated and, and no longer human. So what is, what's so attractive about this other path? What's so attractive about the wrong? We have the freedom. We have, I think wisdom compels us to ask that particular question. Perhaps another thing. What was, what was wrong about life independent from God? Why is X wrong? What makes it wrong? Because God has spoken? Yeah, that's, that's wrong. Because we, we, we prefer our independent life? Yeah. But let's, let's see if we can turn the lights on so we can see clearly. The wrong, according to James 4, is it's adultery. It's... It's something like this. Yeah, Jesus, I love you. It's marriage. It's, it's, it's sure, I, I love you, but I, I, have, I have a lot of desires here. And, and so some of these desires have to be sort of worked out in other relationships. There's something, there's, it's utterly loathsome to, to, to even think such a thing. But that's the nature of, of sin. It's Jesus, yeah, you're nice, and I like you and all that. But, but I... I'm a big boy, I have lots of desires, and you don't necessarily promise to satisfy those. So if I go and indulge in these things, it's James chapter four, it, what's the problem? It's, it's adultery. It's a very, very betrayal of, of the one who, who has rescued us and has shown us his sacrificial love even when we were enemies. What, here's another question. Are you prepared when pain and fear, or are you prepared for your wilderness? Because if, if, if we're not in the wilderness and life seems okay, it, it, our desires are not clamoring and, and wisdom seems a lot easier. Wisdom is being tested in the furnace when life is hard. When, when pain comes, when fears begin to overwhelm, when emotions seem to be utterly out of control, then what? Then how can, are you prepared to discern between right and wrong and choose the right? Well, no, you're not prepared to do that. And, and, and so you're going to surround yourself with people. You're going to do all kinds of things uh, to, 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 to be equipped with, with help when, when the moment comes. How do you do with pain, with fears? Because, because those things will make discernment much more challenging. And, and, and perhaps here's the challenge. The maturity is that we turn to Jesus with the hurts of life. <laughs> to, to, to be able to say Jesus helped to pour out our hearts to him rather than, rather than quickly trying to figure out a way to manage our world our own way. Have any reason for saying No. Here's what we know, that when we come to the crossroads, when we're tested, death is going to look good. 
So you need to have lots of good reasons to say no. It's going to hurt. It's going to feel, it's gonna, it might feel like death itself to say no and to do the right. You have reasons for it? What are those particular reasons? The tests are coming. The tests are coming today. Are you prepared for such things? Do you have a sense of how other people can help? This is a, as you, as you can see, this, on one hand, it's, this, is, this is what it means to be fully human, to grow in self-control. On the other hand, it's, for some reason, we still have these old instincts <laughs> against being human. And it's the spirit and it's the word and it's the very people of God who help us in the midst of that. And can you ask for help? If you, if you have, have lost at that crossroads over and over again, and, you, and, and you're not, you, you don't know how to ask somebody for help, you are still in utter blindness. A person of discernment, a person who's growing in maturity, says, I want the right, and I, I, end, up, I end up moving toward the wrong. Help me, help me. I, I will do what you say. Help me. To who's, who are you asking for help? What are you asking them to do? And then, of course, all eyes on Jesus. All eyes on Jesus, where, where he's, he, he's the beginning of the battle. He's the end of the battle. It's all eyes on Jesus, Matthew chapter 11. It's come to me. You were burdened, because it is really arduous in the wilderness. Come to me, you were burdened and weary. And I'll give you rest. And, and I myself, he says, will partner with you. But it's a curious partnership. Well, I will carry the load. <laughs> and, and you'll find rest for your soul. This is, this is the God who expresses his love for us, this undeniable love that has been expressed in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. And he invites us to join him in, in his mission. So we, we end with all eyes on Jesus. And perhaps a way to, to be alive to Christ is to simply do this, to, to say thank you, to say thank you. Uh, in, in, in some ways, we could, you know, we could, we, we could have that as, as the summary of all these things. Are you able to say thank you to Jesus because of who he is and what he's done? Are you able to say thank you because, because he is the one who will do this enterprise of, of, of learning the distinctions between right and wrong and giving you that self-control to be able to do right? Are you simply saying thank you? If you are able to say thank you to your God, then, then the lights are coming on. The, the spiritual realities are becoming a bit more clear. And, and you are dis- you're able to distinguish between, between, between the life of Christ and, and life apart from Christ. Simple thank you. Let me pray. Mm-hmm. Father, may we aspire to such things. May, may we be people who grow in maturity in the midst of the daily tests of life. We... We, we can discern. We see very clearly what's happening. We see the satanic temptations. Uh, we, we see the nature of our own desires. And, and, and we do the right in the midst of it. Would you grant us an aspiration for such things? And, and then, then we move toward that. 
we, 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 we do spiritual battle by simply saying, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for your patient love. Thank you for how you respond with the slightest of acknowledgments from our own heart. Thank you. In the name of Christ, amen. Copyright 2017, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org. 